Hello, this is Andrew Weinberg, president of the AMFP New York City chapter. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast series, Healthcare Facility Matters. AMFP is the Association of Medical Facility Professionals. This is your professional organization for everyone in the healthcare built environment. We are very excited to provide this series as another means to provide great content and contribute to the betterment of our industry. Please let us know what you think and if there are any topics or speakers you'd like to suggest for future episodes. Meantime, we hope you enjoy today's discussion. AMFP, your peers are here. Welcome to Healthcare Facility Matters podcast series, where you listen to leaders and experts in the industry discuss healthcare facility matters without compromise. On this platform, we focus on enhancing the AEC professional skills to develop a better healthcare-built environment for healthcare institutions. I am Grace Lin, Chair of the AMFP New York City Podcast Committee and a Senior Consultant at Turner & Townsend Healthcare. As healthcare systems seek to deliver speed to market, increase coordination of services, and enhance the quality of project delivery, we share with you today a few pages from the Healthcare C-Suite of Facility Management. This part one of our first episode offers a heartfelt conversation with Doug Carney, Senior Vice President of Real Estate and Facilities for Mount Sinai Health System, and Tina Masika, Assistant Vice President of Design and Construction for Montefiore Medical Center. Both are our local heroes of the healthcare built environment that serves the New York area and share about high functioning teams and what matters. This podcast is moderated by Jen Ryden with her wonderful Aussie accent and charm. Jen is a project director for Stantec and a member of the AMFP New York City Podcast Committee. Welcome, Tina and Doug, and thank you so much for joining us here today. It's really exciting to have you join our first AMFP Healthcare Facility Matters podcast that is hosted by our New York chapter. As two established leaders in our industry, as well as in your individual organizations with some terrific projects in your portfolios, we are really interested to hear about how we as a industry can support you better. And with that, uh, supporting your organization's visions and business planning moving forward. So as we know, these projects don't deliver themselves as yet. Who knows where AI will take us? But they are a huge team effort. So where I would like to start today is at the front end. Um, so you're assembling your project team, looking at both your in-house and um, external consultant team, as this is relevant for both our other owners listening, as well as our consultants. Talk to us a little bit about what you're looking for, if this particular skill sets or criterias, anything useful for us to hear a bit more about? I think that's a, a it's a very open-ended question. It really um, depends on the role that they're playing within the organization. But in general, first they have to, you know, the personality has to match with my team. 
Um, there's a lot of interaction going on. So I think that that's the first thing that I look for personally. And then uh, their educational background and their um, their their work background. Um, I have a tendency to lean towards people who have design backgrounds. Um, I like people who worked in design firms and then moved into um, the owner side just because I think there's a different level of understanding uh, with respect to the entire process and making sure that we're meeting uh, the requirements and demands of a healthcare organization. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I love that you mentioned the culture and the personal fit as well. Is there anything you would like to add, Doug, to that? There's really two basic uh, approaches I take uh, when I uh, want to craft a project team. If it's a large uh, life science or um, clinical in inpatient clinical project that's going to be, you know, for in our world, highly technical, uh, I start with an experienced team. So I'll look at uh, whether it's a OPM or a, an architect or an engineer or a CM. I'll look for team members that are uh, that have a great track record with that project type. Uh, and then, um, secondarily, I will then evaluate the viable candidates uh, in those categories for best fit, um, as as Tina had mentioned, because you, you know no project is any fun if you have a bad fit with one of the team members. So um, it's a competency based evaluation, and then which which of the qualified competency. Uh, candidates are, are the best fit and, and frankly the best fit for the users as well as my team uh, and the project. The other approach I take is slightly different and that is with a project that has a lower technical competency requirement. Uh, I'm always looking for new talent and, and, and always being approached for new talent with by new talent and I look for low-risk projects, low-risk being a relative thing, to experiment with new consultants and or CMs. And I, I typically will do that in projects that uh, are not in the clinical environment, or if they are, uh, the team has some clinical experience, but not at the level of technical expertise for a more complex project. And, and, and I look for ways to try and, you know, essentially test ride um, new options for us. Uh, and, and I'm always looking for fit uh, as well. Uh, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't work out, but um, that's a, a relatively safe way that I can experiment with firms that I haven't worked with before or that my team hasn't worked with before. Which I think is a really good um, insight for everyone listening, because we know as part of AMFP, um, we have a lot of consultants and vendors that would love to work for you. Um, and some of them might not necessarily have extensive experience in healthcare yet. So that's some great insights to how they could get an opportunity on a, like you say, low risk project um, to really prove their partnership. So the other thing is that's really important for me at this point in time is the individuals, not only are they the right fit for the organization, but do they have the availability and can they work at the speed that that's we need? That's a big one. Because... Yeah, we're busting. We're busting at the at the seams right now with projects, and we need them yeah. delivered rapidly. So, 
availability is everyone's topic, I think, right now from the design, from all phases in the project lifecycle. Um, in terms of things that you, you appreciate with consultants, bringing consultants to your team and potentially, ideally, bringing new perspectives, um, do we do a good job? Obviously, I'm an owner's rep. Uh, our industry, we have the whole range of design and construction professionals. But um, do we do a good job in informing you of challenges just coming up that you might not be tracking yet? Um, do you see that, that the kind of open, transparent communication telling you what you probably don't want to hear, but what you probably need to hear? Um, Doug, what's your experience? Yeah, so I've, I've, uh, I've had experience with project teams on all sides of that spectrum. Um, what I can tell you is the most successful ones are the ones that are the most open and the most candid. Uh, because, and, you know, I'm sure Tina will um, give examples of her experience that is similar, but, you know, I have a reputation in the industry as being very tough but fair but also of being one that is a realist. And when the project team presents a problem, you know, there's no point in yelling and screaming. There's no point in saying, how could you miss this or whatever it is? It's time to roll up your sleeves and as a team, solve the problem, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, I'll ask some hard questions, but at the end of the day, um, it's about overcoming whatever the obstacle is. So the sooner you know about it, the analogy I always use is, you know, I grew up in a place where we had this fantastic sledding hill and it snowed a lot more then. And we used to make these giant snowballs and then we would push them down the hill. And by the time they got to the bottom of the hill, they were twice as big as the one we made. And I said, that's what problems in construction are. They never get better. They always get worse. They always get bigger. So the faster you stop them, the less work it is. And frankly, the less brain damage for everybody involved. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, proactive versus reactive, right? You have a lot more options um, to deal with it, mitigate the issue early on. Tina, what's your thought on? I'm very, very, very similar, right? It's yeah. All, it's all about the open communication. It's about you know being ahead of everything, right? And saying, okay, what what what's our risk, or how should we do something? You know, how do can we mitigate problems? How can we pre-order? How can we you know do a, a start a uh, demo package first? Any anything that people can bring in that are is a value to me to get a project going quicker. Um, and they're working together and being transparent. I'm happy. The moment there's a uh, oh. Uh, my, my pro you, you, you can't have that finished because it's uh, 20 weeks out. And I say, well, I had it on reserve. Why didn't you order when I had it on reserve? Why didn't you let me know? Yeah. Those are the problems, right? So, or, or, you know, there's, there, there's, um, they're not uh, coordinating drawings, right? And then that's our design teams and our contractors. They should be working together to do that. So for example, Sarah's drawing, right? If, if, if the architect's not, coordinating it with their set and then the contractor's not double checking them and all of a sudden, you know, last minute, oh, the drain pipe's the wrong size. It should be four inches, not three inches. I mean, come on, like these are things that I expect our people to, at this point in time who have all worked in the healthcare industry for a really long time to know and to be ahead of and not be coming to me and saying, oh, I need a change order now because I got to rip out everything I did because we didn't look at both sets of the drawer. I agree. 
So yeah, you're like, you have a phone, you have their contacts. We hope you have the relationship. Yeah, but Tina, Tina, ra Tina raises two really good points that I think are important uh, for, for everybody in the design AEC world to hear very clearly. One, one is, you know, I had a conversation not here with an AE that had a 15% E&O rate on a project. And it, it was a termination con uh, conversation after the project was over. And the, and the excuse I got was, well, our E&Os are only about 2%. Every, all the others are my consultants. And I looked at them and said, are you serious? Right? The consultants are yours to coordinate. And, you know, their E&Os are your E&Os. Yeah. So the idea of having a well-coordinated, well-documented set is really blocking and tackling, to use a football analogy, uh, and, and the minimum I should expect for the fees we pay. I don't expect a perfect world. Tina, I don't know your background, but I designed hospitals for 17 years, never got one perfect. Um, but I expect uh, that, that you get it as, as good as humanly possible. Um, and then the other thing I think that Tina um, really uh, said in a subtle way that's, that's I think is absolutely critical is, you know, you heard me say that there's two types of teams I put together and on the highly technical competency team, you're all experts. I hire an expert architect, I hire expert engineers, and I hire expert CMs. The idea that you can say to me, we didn't realize or we didn't know, just doesn't fly, right? I mean, it's you're all here because you're experts. And I expect that expertise at that level to be applied to my project. Now, this is the tough side of me. Now, the reality is if we end up with a three-inch pipe when we needed a four-inch pipe, I'll vent a little bit without yelling and screaming or swearing. And then we'll go figure out how we fix the pipe. But there is a reasonable expectation by an owner like Tina or me, when we hire an expert team, that you bring your A game. I think that's really good for the industry to hear. And I think that's what we hope to bring. Um, and, and these are some really important things that we can consider to avoid ending up at that misalignment and a change order that someone will have to brief to the owner. And yeah, we would like to avoid that. Um, so working together as a team, communicating transparently, um, working more proactively to avoid reactive change order solutions. Um, I think something that I've seen on projects to date is when you have a good culture that you're comfortable being transparent and communicating across the different disciplines and expertise, it, it works best. Um, now we live in a world where some of us work like I am right now in a, in a project office on site. Um, so we all sit wearing our different hats in the same physical location. I still have meetings online I have some hybrid, I have some people that are always off-site. What have you seen? And this is every, all organizations tend to do it a little bit differently now. But for everyone listening, wanting to work on a project with each of you, what do you um, think work best? What have you seen work best in terms of physical location or co-location or flexible? This is like this one I've been saying for right through COVID, right? Because everybody's like, oh, we're all working remotely. I'm like, but my construction projects are live in the field. I need you here, <laughs> you know? So 
So, so I'm still of that mindset and, you know, call me old school, but uh, it's a physical environment that we work and we're doing something physical to put in place for our doctors and our nurses and our patients. Right. And, and, and they're here working in a full-time capacity. Um, so my team's here working in a full-time capacity and I expect those architects and engineers and contractors to be working the same way that they always worked. You got to come out. You have to do the investigation. You have to be at the weekly meeting. You know, maybe design a little bit. We can do some of it remotely, but I still want you to come in and bring in the finishes. I still want to do the page turn with the drawings. I'm not doing it on the computer because it's too small to catch everything, you know? So so I think, I think we got to start, you know, just moving more and more towards the being in person. And that's how you build the relationships too. I mean. So you have that communication. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, I hear you loud and clear. And I, I see that as well with some team members that I never meet in person. It is a different relationship. And when you meet, not only do you, you used to just seeing the face and now all of a sudden, um, yeah, obviously they can, they, you're there in live. So it's very different, but I think that's really important to discuss and I know that everyone has their different takes on it currently. So, Doug, what's your take on this? Well, I think, um, you know, there's not going to be a lot of air between my views and Tina's on a lot of things. And this is one, um, you know, the nature of doing a large, complex building has always had people in multiple locations. You know, back the largest project I did as an architect I had 54 architects and engineers working in 12 different offices in four different states. And that was, you know, before a pandemic. But one of the things to Tina's point was I would, with the frequency that made sense, bring them physically together so that they could build relationships. And that was before Zoom. Um, and, and I would personally go to every office at least once every two weeks um, so that I was physically there. Um, I think it's a lot easier to build culture with Zoom when people are more um, spread out than it used to be. But it's not a new problem for us uh, in the design and construction world. I agree with Tina that, uh, you know, when the building is actually in construction, you can't phone it in. You know, I used to teach at Drexel, and that was one of the things I always told my mentees, get out of the trailer. You can't build a building from the trail. You've got to walk the site. And they'd say, how often? And I said, twice a day. You're here. Twice a day. Go, go look. Um, I found it absolutely dumbfounding that architects during COVID would tell me that they wanted to do, they wanted to have the contractor on site and walk through with a Zoom call for them to do their inspections. And I said, you know, that's ridiculous. I'll just, just don't do it. I'll do it because I can do it as well as you can. But um, but that's a little bit of an extreme example. But, um, but yeah, it's important to get the teams together. Uh, you know, we're running a large project now. We get the team together. We were getting together every week till we launched it. Now it's, go now it's on a fantastic trajectory, and we've got a really great team, and they're very close-knit, and they're hitting on all cylinders. And, you know, once every other week is, is often enough. Um, and but we we physically get together and the way we talked about it was that 
any of the firms have to have one person in the room, physically in the room, that is empowered to make decisions. Others can be on Zoom, so it's a hybrid meeting, but every firm has to be represented in the room and the person in the room has to be empowered to make whatever decisions we need to make in case the technology fails or in case it's not clear or in case we have to look at something in real life. And that seems to be working. But, you know, there's no substitute for being in the same room with somebody to build a rapport with them. Especially to the point that you both say, to build those relationships that are then critical for a successful team delivering a successful project. Um, yeah, it's interesting and it's terrific to hear a little bit of different, or two different views on this. Um, I think everyone I talk to have a different view on it. So uh, we'll continue to evolve. I think we'll, obviously you being the owner, you set the rules per se. So I think it's really interesting to hear what you're both looking for in your respective organizations at the moment. Owners are always looking for new talents and abilities to meet the requirements and demands of healthcare organizations. When assembling a team, owners evaluate the cultural fit and the qualifications or competencies based on work experience and educational background that best fit the end users and the project. Today, our speakers shared what owners love about consultants and what consultants can improve upon for future work. Here are some key takeaways. Work proactively to avoid reactive solutions and unintended consequences. Be transparent, open, and honest. Communicate timely and effectively. Construction is a live event, so make sure you visit the site. To bring exceptional value, a real key to the success of a project boils down to the individuals assigned to the project, how good their competencies are, and their ability to work together. As we wrap up this podcast, I want to thank our guest speakers and moderator for sharing their practical insights as our chapter members crave to understand the requirements and demands of healthcare organizations. If you enjoyed this conversation today, please check our website at amfp.org NYC to learn more about AMFP. Thank you for joining us. Part two of this episode will drop in the coming weeks. Please watch for announcements. This podcast series, Healthcare Facility Matters, is brought to you by the Association of Medical Facility Professionals, AMLP, New York City Chapter. Until next time. <music>